So Matthew chapter 16 from verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Well, I feel I should apologise to Susan because I, I, just real, I only realised as we were going through that uh, I just ordered things in precisely the way to, <laughs> to, uh, to make the emotional you know, climax right when, uh, when Susan had to get up. So, uh, but it's great. It's always great to see someone break down in public, isn't it? <laughs> and, uh, so I shouldn't say that because now I'm going to break down or something. Anyway. It has happened many times before. Anyway, well, uh, if you're joining us uh, today, we've been, we've been doing here at the Branch a series in Matthew and, and uh, a little while ago when uh, Susan and I kind of worked out the date for today, I, I started to think through what we could do and, uh, and, I, and I racked my brain and, and I was preparing uh, around that time, around these verses, a sermon around these verses and I thought, you know what, actually, what I might do is I might just hold on to those uh, hold on to those actually for the commissioning service because I think here in these verses there is just a wonderful vision not just of the Christian life but of Christian ministry uh, and of Christian the, the, the ethos behind what Christian ministry is all about and what the Christian life is all about. And so as we send Susan out as a church and as uh, fellow believers and friends uh, and family, as we send Susan out, what is it that uh, Susan's work will look like? What is it that our Christian lives ought to look like as well? And Jesus here really encapsulates that in a very profound uh, way here in these verses. I think some parts of the Bible are genuinely difficult to understand. Uh, we read them and we come away going, goodness me, what was all that about? Uh, but other parts of the Bible are pretty straightforward. They're easy to understand but they're hard to embrace. And the words of Jesus here this morning, I think, fit into that second category. They're pretty easy to understand, to make sense of what Jesus is saying. What's hard about these words is actually taking them up, is actually embracing what Jesus is saying. Jesus says to his disciples and he says to us, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. It's hard for us living uh, in our world today, in our society, in our time and place to recapture the shock value that these words must have had when Jesus first spoke them. The Romans uh, were known for their brutality, particularly to, to criminals and if you were living in the Roman Empire at that time when you travelled along the road you probably would have seen a few people being crucified along the way. Uh, the Romans loved to crucify people in public they like to do it in obvious places. They would do it at the crossroads uh, or on important trade routes because they wanted people to see the cost 
of disobeying the Roman Empire. And so when Jesus said these words to these disciples, they would have known what the crucifixion looked like. When execution goes on in our world today, it's often done where it is done. It's done behind closed doors. In America, uh, some people can go and see it, but, but that's all. But in the world of Jesus' day, execution and crucifixion was a public event. And so the disciples knew only too well the pain and the agony of those people who were crucified by the Roman Empire. It's tempting, I think, for us to, to liken Jesus' words, try and translate them into our day and, and say things like, take up your electric chair and follow me or take up your gas chamber or take up your lethal injection. Those translations kind of capture the shock value but they don't really get at the heart of what Jesus is saying. In a sense, they kind of miss the point. Because what Jesus is saying has to be seen through the lens of what he's just said and what Jesus is going to do. Jesus had just forecast his own crucifixion and death. He just said to Peter that he was going to be crucified, he was going to die. He was going to die for the sins of the world. Peter couldn't believe it, but that was the reality. Jesus' love for his father and his love for his people would take him to the cross. And Jesus says to his disciples that if they want to follow him, then their love for for him, for for Jesus' Father, for Jesus' people, their love would take them along that same road, that same road of pain and suffering. See, Jesus isn't just saying, I want you to embrace your own death. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, I want you to embrace a love so costly, so difficult, so painful, that it could mean your own death. It could mean, uh, it could mean great cost. Jesus is saying, to follow me, to love me, to love my father, to love my people, to love my world is costly and difficult. For some of the disciples that heard those words from Jesus the first time, it would mean the ultimate cost. They really would be executed for their love for Jesus and their love for Jesus' people. Peter, uh, according to church tradition, the Apostle Peter was crucified. The Apostle Paul, I think, was beheaded, they say. And many Christians uh, throughout, our, uh, throughout history have been executed. Many Christians in our world today are still being executed for their faith. You've probably heard that statistic that in the last century more people have been, uh, have been killed for their faith in Jesus than in the whole uh, time before then. Some disciples would pay the ultimate cost, but even for the disciples who wouldn't pay that ultimate cost, the cost would still be high. The Apostle John lived out the last days of his life uh, in exile, uh, on a prison island, basically. You and I may never be faced with execution or death as the cost of loving Jesus and following him. Nevertheless, the pattern of Jesus cross-carrying and self-denial ought to be the template for our own existence and for our own lives. Our lives ought to be lives of costly love and costly obedience and costly service. Costly love for Jesus, costly love for our Heavenly Father, 
costly love for each other and for God's world. Not mild discomfort, but costly, painful self-denial and self-crucifixion. I think that's such a challenge to our normal view of the Christian life and of Christian service. I suspect that many people are attracted by the idea of following Jesus. Jesus has great things to say, doesn't he, really? He talks about forgiveness. He talks about God's grace. He has a great road map for life. Follow me, you know, these are the the good ways to live. At an intellectual level, what Jesus is offering seems pretty appealing. So long as it doesn't cost too much. So long as it's not too painful. I suspect that the two great parameters that many people use to assess the extent of their ministry and their service and their Christian commitment The two great parameters are convenience and painlessness. As long as following Jesus is convenient and painless, that's all okay. As long as church church and Sunday mornings, as long as that's convenient, as long as that's uh, painless and relatively enjoyable, people will come. But the moment it's not painless, the moment it's not convenient, the moment it's not enjoyable, people start looking elsewhere. Someone might uh, invite you to be involved in some ministry or other, be it in the church or outside or just helping someone uh, in the street. Someone might invite you and you, as long as it's convenient, as long as it's pretty easy, as long as it's painless, you're relatively content to be involved in that. But the moment it becomes inconvenient, the moment it becomes painful and difficult, people give up. But so much of the Christian life is painful and inconvenient. Reading the Bible is inconvenient. Prayer is inconvenient and often difficult. Committing to a ministry in the church is inconvenient. Committing to a growth group is inconvenient. Working faithfully at the job that God has given you is inconvenient and often painful. Being a godly parent is inconvenient and often painful. Being a godly child is often inconvenient and painful. Pretty well everything in the Christian life is inconvenient and painful. If you decide how to serve Christ, how to serve the church, based on whether it's convenient and painless, you won't do anything. Because Christian love, following Jesus, always involves denying yourself, taking up your cross and putting up with what's inconvenient and unpleasant. It wouldn't be described as crucifixion if it, if it weren't. Our society doesn't equip us well for dealing with pain because our society is allergic to pain. We do everything we can to avoid pain, so much so that when people are in great pain, we think that it's kinder to euthanise them than to let them live. But I love sending people out into the mission field because it reminds me that people captured and captivated by the gospel are not allergic to pain. We've seen the pain, haven't we, on full display this morning. 
I love sending people into the mission field because it shows me what it looks like to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow Jesus. Susan is a great example to me and a great example I hope to you as well of what it looks like to take up your cross and to follow Jesus. Susan is an example reminding me and us every day that loving Jesus is costly and unpleasant and difficult. I love getting the emails back from Graham and Linda in South Sudan. I kind of love them, but I kind of find them hard as well. Because every time I read those emails, I think to myself, they're giving up so much every day, aren't they? Their life is so difficult. Their ministry is so costly. And what is my ministry in my life costing me? I love all the uh, brothers and sisters that we get here at our church who've gone through world, who are going through worldview, uh, who are preparing to go off into the mission field. I love having them here because they have such a passion for mission and for serving Christ. But they always leave. And every time they leave, I remember that they have a much grander vision of what it looks like to serve Christ than I do. I I love it that this church is a church that was founded at great cost. Many of the people who founded this church founded this church at great cost to themselves and to relationships with family and friends. They paid a cost because they thought the gospel was worth more than anything else. I love that. For most of us though, taking up our cross and following Jesus won't mean moving to another country or starting a new church or leaving our job. It might mean those things, who knows? But what it does mean is every day handing our lives over to Jesus to do with us as he pleases. Taking up our cross and following Jesus is not a thing that we just sort of do once and then say, well, I've done that, I did that yesterday, I've I've done it now. But we need to do it every day, every moment of every day, every single decision that we make. We need to cast before God and say, God, help me to make the sacrifices that I need to make. Not just in the big decisions, but in the thousands of tiny little decisions that we make every moment of every day. A friend of mine has a prayer which he prays every day and I think it's such a great thing to do. He prays, Father, please help me to make the sacrifices today that I need to make to follow Jesus. That's not just a great prayer to pray, it's a great prayer to pray every single day because if we don't begin the day with that frame of reference, with that that mindset then we'll never make the sacrifices. Unless sacrifice and costly love is on the agenda, when the opportunity for self-sacrifice comes, we won't take it because we won't be prepared. You might have made sacrifices in the past to follow Jesus, but maybe you've fallen into a comfortable and convenient and painless existence. Why not write out that prayer on a piece of paper? And pray that prayer every day for the next six months. Father, please help me to make the sacrifices today that I need to make to follow Jesus. 
I remember before Graham and Linda left, a few of us sat down with them and I remember saying to Linda, I remember saying, I'm so encouraged by how much you're giving up to follow Christ. And she said to me, and it was such a wise thing to say, I think, she said, yes, but when we get there, the challenge will be exactly the same. We will have given up so much to follow Christ, but the temptation will be that we'll still try and hold on to our lives as much there as we did here. Susan, I hope that that prayer becomes your constant prayer in Niger as well. You're giving up so many things today to go and to serve Christ and our prayer is that you keep giving them up every single day for the rest of your life. So Jesus presents before all of us this stark call. We need to deny ourselves and take up our cross. But Jesus goes on in verse 25 to highlight as well the starkness of the choice. He says, whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. There are only two options. You can try and hang on to your life and lose it, or you can give up your life and save it. Jesus is looking ahead Uh, in this section to the end of this present age when he's going to return to judge the living and the dead and he says in verse 27 for the son of man is going to come in his father's glory with his angels and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. I tell you the truth some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the son of man coming in his kingdom. Jesus uh, isn't saying here that denying ourselves earns us a place in heaven or that not denying ourselves condemns us to hell. Rather, the idea is that the people who really put their trust in Jesus, who really uh, receive him as their king, the people who are really following him, are people whose lives will be marked by the same kind of self-denial and self-crucifixion. Another way of saying it is that self-denial and cross-carrying for Jesus' sake shows that we've really been united with Jesus. The self-denial and the cross-carrying that those people make, Jesus says, will be rewarded on the last day. So if there's no cross-carrying, Jesus says, there's no reason to suppose that you're really following Jesus. Jesus went to the cross to redeem us. He gave up everything to redeem us. So if we're following him, that must mean that we need to give up everything as well. The old Christians used to say, and I love this expression, no cross, no crown. And I suppose that that expression is based on these verses here and what Jesus is saying. No self-denial, no cross-carrying, no costly love for Jesus, no crown, no reward, no life. You see, that's the equation that Jesus puts before us. What has following Jesus cost? What does it cost you? Has it cost anything? And not just... What did it cost you 10 years ago or 20 years ago or last year or yesterday? But what does it cost you today? What will you be willing to what will you be willing to pay tomorrow to follow Jesus? 
Nothing? No cost, says Jesus, no reward, no cross, no crown. It was Bonhoeffer, I think, who said that salvation and forgiveness are a free gift of God's grace, but they'll cost us everything. We mustn't think that self-denial and cross-carrying is merely a higher stage of the Christian life, that there are kind of super spiritual Christians who take up their cross and follow Jesus and there are the rest of us who kind of live a life of self-gratification. No, Jesus says whoever wants to save his life will lose it and whoever, wants to, whoever gives up his life for Jesus' sake will find it. Not because the cost saves but because the cost shows us that the resurrection power of Jesus is really at work in us. At the beginning of our Christian lives, that, that self-denial may be small, but it ought to be there and it ought to grow. Crucifixion was a long, slow, drawn-out process. And in many ways, the Christian life this side of Jesus' return is the same. It's a long, slow, drawn-out death. But it's also a long, slow, glorious resurrection as the power of Christ works in us through the Holy Spirit. No cross, no crown, no death, no life. Please don't think, please don't think that taking up our cross and following Jesus isn't a terrifying prospect. It is a terrifying prospect. It's horrifying. When we see the enormity of what Jesus is asking us to do, it's enormous, it's massive. It's hard, it's scary. But as we saw last week, God is a God who's in the business of moving mountains, of doing the impossible. And with even the smallest faith, we can cry out to God, help me to follow Jesus. I'm so scared, God. Help me to follow Jesus and to give up everything to follow him. I love that hymn. Do you know that him, I don't know if we sing it anymore. Take my life that it may be, all you purpose, Lord, for me. Take my moments and my days, let them sing your endless praise. Take my motives and my will, all your purpose to fulfil. Take my heart, it is your own, it shall be your royal throne. Well, if you've never given your life to Christ and to following him, I think that's a great prayer to pray, isn't it? Take my life that it may be all you purpose, Lord, for me. Jesus sets before us this incredible call. Deny yourself and take up your cross. And he sets before us this disturbing equation. Life now or life then? In verse 26, he he gives us these words. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? Here is uh, the question which Jesus is asking, what is your soul worth? What is your life worth? What price would you put on it? What is eternal life and joy in the presence of God worth to you? Or perhaps another way of asking it might be this, What is it that you're holding on to in this world which is of such great value that you'd give up eternity for it? 
what in this world is of such great value that you would hold on to it and lose eternal life with God. It can be all kinds of things. It can be a car, it can be a thing, it can be a car or a house, Uh, it could be a style of life. It might be a person, it might be a relationship. Uh, It might be pride. You can't humble yourself to admit your deep flaws. You can't relinquish your power of self-determination to Jesus. Are those things of such great value that you would trade life, real life, life with God, that you would trade all those things to keep what you have? Those are deep questions, I think, to think through. They're deep questions, I think, to pray through. So I think that's a good question to go home and to ask yourself. What is life with God really worth to me? Maybe write it down on a piece of paper. If your so-called Christianity costs nothing... then let me ask you, what is so terribly precious that you're hanging on to? What what good would it be, Jesus says, for a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? Listen to these uh, devastating and sobering words from John Piper in his book, A Hunger for God. He writes, The greatest enemy of hunger for God is not poison, but apple pie. It's not the banquet of the wicked that dulls our appetite for heaven, but endless nibbling at the table of the world. It's not the X-rated video, but the prime time dribble of triviality we drink in every night. For all the ill that Satan can do, when God describes what keeps us from the banquet table of his love, it's a piece of land, a yoke of oxen and a wife. The greatest adversary of love to God is not his enemies but his gifts and the most deadly appetites are not for the poison of evil but for the simple pleasures of earth. For when these replace an appetite for God himself the idolatry is scarcely recognisable and almost incurable. I think it would be worth posting up on your wall at home or at work and asking yourself the question every day, are these things worth more than life with Christ? And then praying, Father, please help me to make the sacrifices today that I need to make to follow Jesus. What good would it be? What good would it be for you to gain the whole world? Everything that you've ever set your heart on and yet forfeit your soul. Well, I'm so encouraged, as I said before, that we're commissioning Susan this morning to take up her cross in Niger and to follow Christ. And I hope that it's an example to all of us of the style of life which Christ calls us to, each one of us in the place where God has put us. It reminds me that there are things 
far more important than my comfortable life here, my home and my home country. It reminds me that the only love for God which is worth anything is love which is deeply, deeply costly, love which takes up its cross and follows Jesus. Well, Susan, maybe I can leave you with these words that challenged me uh, many years ago as I set out into ministry. They come from a book uh, by J.C. Ryle, a book called Holiness. If you've never read that book, sell your house and buy it. It's an amazing book. Uh, At least read the first five chapters, I think. After that, it's a bit forgettable. But (laughs) No, it's okay. But the first four are gold, like true gold. But J.C. Ryle writes this. It's it's, uh, words that have stayed with me for a very long time. The time is short. A few more years of watching and praying. A few more tossings on the sea of this world. A few more deaths and changes. A few more winters and summers and all will be over. We shall have fought our last battle and need to fight no more. The presence and company of Christ will make amends for all we suffer here below. When we see as we have been seen and look back on the journey of life, we shall wonder at our own faintness of heart. We shall marvel that we made so much of our cross and thought so little of our crown. We shall marvel that in counting the cost, we could ever doubt on which side the balance of profit lay. Let us take courage. We are not far from home. Lord God, thank you that home is not far away. That though we live in this world, cursed as it is by our sin, our sin which ruined it, our sin which destroys it every day, Lord, thank you that as we live in this world, the resurrection power of Christ is breaking in and breaking into our hearts and our lives for the glory of Christ Jesus. Lord, thank you that that resurrection power of Christ is at work in Susan, that you've worked in her that great desire to set out from here, to to give up everything and to follow Jesus to give up friends and family and comforts, to give up career opportunities, to give up a loving church and a loving church family. Thank you that you've worked in her that great desire and that great desire for self-sacrifice. And thank you that in her we catch a glimpse of our wonderful Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. Our oh Lord, strengthen our weak knees and our faint hearts that every day we recoil from the sacrifice and the difficulty and the cost of following Jesus. Lord, if our Christian confession has never cost us anything, help us to come today with empty hands and plead your grace in Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that we wouldn't be Christians 
or a church known for complacency and of relinquishing things to convenience and painlessness, but that we will be a church known for great love at great cost to ourselves, that we will be a church known for denying ourselves and taking up our cross and following Jesus. Lord, as we tread our lives here on this world, this, on this earth, give us the strength, we pray, to follow Jesus and to love him with all our hearts. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.